0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Cotton in a Rocket Chip. I'm your host, Lennox Mars Jr., and we are going on another ride. And this is season one, episode 15, and this episode is called Freedom Papers. We are going to continue with the book, Cotton in a Rocket Chip, which details my journey from boyhood to manhood using spoken word and different and various pieces to illustrate the racial inequity in society. So a little bit about this piece, just to preface, is that I, when I created this piece, I was pretty much a newly minted professional. And so this was probably roughly six or seven years ago that I created this piece. And I will perform it to you now. Here it goes. I survived the city of torment and despair. Judgment from my family and peers. I survived college without any money. Professors that looked at me as an anomaly. I paid my portions as I hold the letters to my freedom in my DNA. My ancestors paid with their lives. And I have generations of answered prayers is the reason I'm still alive. I have not begged nor borrowed, simply wagered my life for a better tomorrow Straining the salt from our tears is how we tasted life. The seeds you discard becomes the fruits of our labor. The autumn leaves our paper, shaped our existence from thought, steeled our emotions and looked what was wrought. Freedom papers. <clears throat> that was uh, freedom papers. And it is pretty accurate for what's going on today and the sentiment African-Americans have. So a lot of people think that the black and um, African-American experience is relegated to one era. So in the 1960s is the civil rights era. And then there was the pre-civil rights era. Um, then there's the post-civil rights era. And we are the children's of the post-civil rights era. Um, but in, but and after the post-civil rights era, there's many different eras. So I label the 1990s is like, in the 1980s is the crack era. There's no historian to dub it for us or or any African-American historian that dubbed it the crack era, but that's what happened in our community from the 1980s to the 1990s to pretty much Bill Clinton's crimes Bill, probably around 1996, 1997. Um, I would probably label that the crack era. And then there's that early 2000s And then that after the millennia era and I say this to say um, there's a lot of things that happened to our community which is and we were pretty much controlled by the economic upturn or downturn and you can see our condition change so after the civil rights era things weren't the best we received some fortune in the 70s and 80s, whether it's through hair care products, music, that sort of thing, disco. Um, and and you can kind of tell this this, uh, this change because the music changed. Disco was happy. The 80s became like pop and grunge and um, the only person that was shiny and new was probably Michael in the 80s or Prince, but things started to change you start to see more denim jackets um run dmc would model themselves off after the modern day hustler of the time the 80s hustler the 80s drug dealer um the 90s was nwa and and then they had a mix of conscious hip-hop like q-tip and diggable planets and lords of the underground and leaders of the new school the 90s that would probably be the golden era of hip hop but i would say this to say that we are manifesting throughout the annals of time so you can hear new jack swing and you can hear these different elements and then you can see what's going on, on the ground and then we have movies like colors and movies like new jersey drive and menace to society the show and depict what's going on the the boom of of gangs and so being a child and a product of all these things happening down the line i go back to freedom papers and i named and coined the term freedom papers because each era has to pay a toll that get you right back in the cycle of being enslaved in some type of way. So like my father and many other fathers in the crack era, many black men did not survive the crack era. What I mean survive, either they lost their lives or they were locked up for a long period of time. Full stop. So there's this, always this bargaining chip where you Don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you're just going to ride it off. And for for me, uh, part of my freedom papers was access to education, which is always a number one thing for our family. But then you realize that your payment now is conditional to you now. Being in debt. So I incurred a lot of debt. Getting multiple degrees. I don't really regret the educational piece. But college was a hustle. I got hustled. Because the race that they tell you to run is get a job. Go to school, get a job, buy a house, have a family, ride off into the sunset, go to college. That's going to be the best way to have access, the best way to get jobs, the best way to get high paying jobs. This is what we were told. So when it was time for me to choose to work for the post office, hit the block or go to the Navy or the military, I chose college because that was the best race to run and I still believe it's a good race to run however they made it increasingly difficult college for those who went in the 80s and the 70s and even the 90s you probably could have paid out of pocket worked at a pizzeria or a summer job and you could pay your tuition for the year. That is impossible. Don't matter if you work two full-time jobs, you still have to pay off that tuition because it's thousands of dollars. And then after 2008, when the economy crashed, jobs that were paying the 70, 80,000 mark for newly minted professionals you were getting 45, 40, 45, 50. Now in certain industries, they want me to pay my employees 32, 35. I don't, I don't really have the heart to pay anybody 35,000 right now, especially when the, the money is not backed by anything, it's dirt. So, and it's, it's not just a black community, but we get hit first. And we are the litmus test for those who may have had a little bit more success and then it goes, it trickles up. So we may get hit first because there's a lot of us and then we go up. So when we started saying that college is unaffordable, it's a scam, people were saying like, nah, you guys are just complaining. So it was deep when I wrote this because I worked and I might have put out hundreds of applications. I, I look back at my life. This was a piece where I'm looking back at my life. And I'm looking back at my life objectively and saying, was it worth it? So I didn't have my masters yet, but with the debt that I incurred. And I, and I was grateful because I didn't have much debt, but a lot of millennials who are in their thirties now thirties and forties now still are paying off student loan debt. They can't purchase property. They are putting off marriage because marriage is another debt laden idea. Because they have 60 to $70,000 in student loans or they're marrying at the courthouse. But going into the actual words of Freedom Papers, and I named it that because in slavery time, you would have to purchase. If you were a slave and you were afforded a good job and you were able to squirrel away some money, you could be able to buy your freedom. And then after you bought your freedom, you would go back to buy your wife's freedom or your kids And this is documented, well-known history. So as I'm journeying on, I realize that I still have shackles around me in the form of debt, in the form of a student loan, or in the form of a mortgage, a death note. Yeah, so a lot of college-educated African-Americans. A lot of educated African-Americans start to see the game for what it is and realize that you are lied to, not even just African-Americans, just millennials. So we have this influx of a very educated populace coming to no jobs, no institutions, and then you have to compete. So you're competing globally for jobs. So what do you do? So I go in to say, I survived the city of torment and despair. Judgment from my family and peers. So my city that I grew up in, I grew up in an urban environment called North New Jersey. It was always in the the top 10 worst cities for decades. It was always... It was terrible where i when I grew up, I grew up in nork in the nineties in the early 2000s, and um till about two thousand five when I went away to college. I was fortunate enough to to grow up in Ivy Hill, which was which some people call the suburb, but Nork is Nork hmm. And then I say judgment from my family and peers. So I often talk about this transition that we have, when you want more things, when you want to have an education, when you want to be educated, when you want to keep climbing this ladder of success, you will be judged for it. Then I said I survived college without any money. I always kept two jobs in college, but two jobs wasn't nothing. Um you end up being broke. And as a college student, you will be broke. There is no rich, well, for me, where I come from, there, there aren't any rich college students. You, you, you broke, you eat ramen, you eat dollar pizza. I ate dollar pizza all summer, one summer. Pizza and Arizona iced tea. And so I go on to say I paid my portions as I hold the letters of freedom in my DNA. So I continue to pay this toll But my ancestors paid this toll. They worked their whole lives. Generations worked their whole lives, giving into a system that they haven't gotten paid a dime. Whole lives. People who jumped overboard during the transatlantic slave trade, the Middle Passage. So the system continues to consume and want more, more and more, and I'm looking at it as I paid. I paid with me living in a food desert or a terrible urban environment. I'm paying now as I'm taking out loans from Sally Mae, Fannie Mae, and you've already taken lives of my grand great-grandfathers and those who I cannot name and they just want more and I said my ancestors paid with their lives and I have generations of answered prayers is the reason I'm still alive Um so by no stretch of the imagination I believe that I'm doing this alone there is some force that's pushing me and whether it's my grandmother who prayed for me every day as I walked out into the streets of Newark, or my mother who prayed for me every day. She told me this, you know, as I've gotten when I got older, she said there wasn't there isn't a day I didn't pray for you. And I'm sure there's many mothers who pray for their sons and daughters. Many grandmothers, many great-grandmothers who prayed day in and day out for uh, even if not their lives let their children's lives be a little bit more fruitful. And I do the same now. Every step that I I make, it's propelling my son, my daughter, my future children into a better space. So now I'm running a race of trying to gain as much wealth as possible to insulate my kids so they can be educated, they can be strong, upstanding black folks. That's it. I have not begged nor borrowed, which is partly true. I have student loans, so I'm borrowing, but I'm paying that full, full tilt. (laughs) I'm paying that money full tilt, but I have not begged nor borrowed. I'm not, I'm not in it. I'm paying the iron price and more, and many black people, they have to pay market value or above market value. Even when there's sales going on, you're paying above market value for things. That's worth something assets. I simply wagering my life for today for a better tomorrow. And um, as a black man in society, you wager your life. You walk outside, you pay with your life. You do a bad drug deal, you pay with your life. You drive your motor you drive your motorcycle or your you pay with your life. You drive your vehicle, your car, you pay with your life just to get to work. So we all every day we wager our lives. And I know to the person who You know, the Judeo-Christian is like, yo, every day, every day is not promised. Tomorrow's not promised, but there is a steeper payment. There's a steeper slope for me. I can't afford to fail, so I can't make missteps. Then I go on to straining the salt from our tears is how we tasted life. true and now this is the ingenuity i'm I'm going at i'm talking about the ingenuity of of those who look like me and those who came before me and those who come after me who look who will look like me as as black people we call it ghetto you know but we have to strain the salt from our tears we we would like to taste life we would like to use himalayan salt or whatever salt or whatever freedoms that that's afforded to other americans but we have to do it in a in an ingenious way the seeds you discard becomes our fruits of labor so now we have to take whatever means that we have in order to, to make it work The autumn leaves, our paper, shaped our existence from thought. So now going into the manifestation part. Using the autumn leaves as our paper, we shaped our existence from thought. Which is powerful. I remember the first time I saw... suburb outside my neighborhood well there was always South Orange where I lived which was a beautiful place but we would often get corralled and chased out out of South Orange Village growing up when they saw the black youth but to be to actually have access into a place was my uncle my uncle Cleveland he lived in Piscataway, New Jersey and the first time he pulled up We pulled up and saw the house, and it was undone. Um, He purchased a rancher and he made it uh, pretty much a colonial split level. And he did that with his own hands, but the house is beautiful. He he built that uh, that house with his two hands. And when we saw the finished product, I was like, man, this is beautiful, you know, in ground, pool, pool. And similarly, the house that I have today looked like that because I remembered saying as a child, I said, I want a house just like this. And he was like, I don't, I'm not doing it for myself as much. I'm doing it for y'all. And I remember I spent the whole summer, you know, because the summers were dangerous in Newark. And I, I literally, my mom would allow us to be there because she knew we were safe there. And I literally lived a whole summer with my aunt and uncle my Uncle Cleveland and my Auntie Grace. Whole summer. We only went back home to get clothes. But it was, it was, it was a beautiful place. You know, I would go to the park and it wasn't it was different. Going to the park in my neighborhood and going to the park in Piscataway was different. Playing basketball with, with the the populace. The kids were different, you know. No fights would break out because uh, I'm, I'm scoring 12 points straight on you, you know. no no real fights going on. And I just remember looking at that. And so now as I continue on my journey, I'm manifesting things that I, I'm writing down on paper. I'm manifesting things for my thoughts. You know... But it takes a lot of power and ingenuity to do that especially when you're not using your plan a you're not using your plan b but you're actually in your g's and f's you know you're like you're in the middle of your plan i'm already probably down to my m's i didn't hit z yet but I'm i'm in the middle of the alphabet you know and that's many things for black people you know you can you can have your day planned you can have you can have goals, you can have aspirations, but if you don't have a place where you can actually execute, or if you, can, you can't go to a place of solace, not even in a place in your mind where you can, when you can slow, thing down, slow things down a bit, you can see the place coming. Everything in the neighborhood that I grew up, the hood I grew up in was reactionary. The lights cut off, oh man, we all gotta pull in for the lights. The water bill, oh man, we all gotta pull in for the water bill. You know, you always have a, a constant issue and it keeps you In the days, you don't have time to sit down and plan because you're always getting hit by something. Oh, someone broke into my car. I gotta get that fixed because if I drive around with a broken window and an ignition, I'm gonna get pulled over. So I have to dump out money. You have to dole out money every chance you get, or it is not even the money so much. It's the constant beating a constant day in day out and that's just to to live your life and then you compound oh I lost a friend my friend's are dropping like flies oh there was a shooting up the block three kids got killed oh a cop got uh, somebody was running into a a cop or or they were trying to rob a person for their car and a carjacker but it was a cop and he got killed they taped off the block Now, there's a curfew or the populace is gonna get harassed because he had an accomplice and they don't know what's going on. These are things that that happens every day in our communities. But, you know, other communities are so far removed from that, or if they knew about it, they're gone. They don't have to deal with that because life is is stressful enough. And that's what I'm seeing now is that I'm here living a relatively comfortable life. I, have, I still have bills, I still have goals, I still have aspirations, but I don't have that to deal with. Not yet. I'm sure it will come up. I'm sure I will be. I will have some issues or some situations because you're not so far removed, but it's almost just you're gambling. And then I go on to say. We stealed our emotions, and look what was wrought. So I, st- I often had to steal my emotions. You know, in college, you lose friends, you lose loved ones, you you put your head in a book, and you deal with. It. You might go to the gym and exercise, you run, you do some breathing, and you get back to your books. You know. you don't want to get distracted and many young black kids often get distracted because their household is terrible so it pours into their their it pours into their performance so me as a newly minted professional I look back and um I wrote this as a kind of a timeless piece because I wanted to always go back to the the payment part of it and freedom papers was accurate and how much we have to pay for Living the lifestyle that we want to lead. And so this there's this constant payment. This constant, this continuous, that your one is truly never free. Even in the game of of making and acquiring money, there's levels to that. So the wealthy man ends up becoming a slave to his lifestyle. He can't stop generating money or doing the things that he do. And I truly don't know what was wrought from stealing our emotions because in where we live, we don't have a time to feel. have a time to feel and I'm I'm affected by it now Um, And those of us who grew up in urban environments or grew up hard know what I'm talking about when you do not know how to feel or you've shut that part off, so it's something that's just hard to deal with. Um, And I'm looking at and thinking about my father. He he was a stone. You know, jovial man sometimes, but others, he, he was a stone. Thinking about what he had to do, raising kids in an urban environment, coming from a third world country himself, being black coming from a third world country, a black immigrant. the stories he told me, I can see how he fashioned himself. and as I continue to get more education, I fashioned myself in a way and could still continue to evolve and fashion myself. But I remember the emotional aspect you turn off emotions can get you killed that was from one of my old heads oh geez emotions could get you killed so that there's this constant battle from what you learned and what you have to discard as you move forward and everything can't be discarded some things are just permanent Freedom Papers is a very introspective piece and it is locked into what was going on at the time with a lot of joblessness and even now, you know, in COVID there's 40,000 people that's jobless currently. So the time that I thought was bad, it's gotten even worse for others. And even though I'm able to, quote unquote, insulate myself a little bit, this joblessness is not, not going to go anywhere. It's going to pour into our daily living. So you may see more crime. You may see more people trying to buy their freedom however they can. I.e. the looters. The looters in the protests currently aren't all African-American. They're, they're not. Because they're being affected as well. So the type of people that's going to come out of this. This pandemic, the type of people that that's going to be grown out of a society which may no longer. Happen. So there's this constant evolution of people because I can, I, you know, I remember talking to my elders and I don't know an era or I don't know a life um, where the black community was not affected by drugs and guns. So I can I can talk to somebody from the 1960s, those flower children, you know, those civil rights era babies. And I can talk to them and they can tell us that they had a beautiful, vibrant community. Not not, not that it was devoid of violence, but they can tell me that there was a togetherness, that there was an interconnection. There was a a closeness to the community that I, I never experienced. Because with HIV, AIDS, intravenous drug use, the crack era, the 1990s crack era, the crime bills, the war on drugs, the dot-com crashes, the, the recession in 2008, there's so many different things that came the people is just completely different so I don't understand a lifestyle like that I can only fantasize about that I can only conceptualize it in my mind's eye but I I can't touch that physically But I really hope you guys like this piece. I really hope you enjoyed my introspective work on Freedom Papers and I'll be signing off. Peace.